live from Cumbria, this is The Twilight Show with Kayleigh Clark. Good evening and welcome to The Twilight Show this week. We will be talking about uh, healthy debate, why it's important, especially for teachers, but it seems to be quite a tricky thing to achieve. So we're going to be talking a bit about that and also covering some of the more controversial topics that have popped up in the media this week. So tune in, call in and get involved. We'd love to hear from you. Live from Cumbria, this is The Twilight Show with Kayleigh Clark on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, I need to give myself a little bit of credit for the fact that that is the first time I've played my jingle and managed to fill the gap between the opening and the closing section so neatly. So. I'm, I'm really happy with that. That's a good start to the show. Strong show. Strong start, sorry. I'm also really chuffed because that is the first time I've played my personalised jingle since I started on Teachers Talk Radio. So it feels like I have finally arrived. Um, it's official. My name is in the jingle. So what's been going on with you this week? Uh, how's it been? First week of February. Um, for us uh, at our school, we've got half term next the week after next, so we're officially on countdown as of tomorrow. I get up every morning in the last week of term going, last. that's the last Monday I'll have to wake up for a week, that's the last Tuesday I'll have to wake up, um, and it helps get me through. I've still got loads to do, of course, um, still got some students who need to do their, their um, half-term assessments. I've spent um, two and a half hours this afternoon marking my year nine books because they've just done theirs. So it's gonna be full on right until the end of the week, but I'm sure I'm not alone in that and at least that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, speaking of light, it would be unusual for me to com not comment on the weather at the beginning of my show. It's becoming a bit of a theme. Uh, this time last week when I aired live, I was talking about how dark it is. Now. It's a pretty miserable day where I am, I'm not gonna lie, but it is still light outside. So I'm taking all the posit positives I possibly can at the moment. And although it's been absolutely horrendous, we had really high winds, loads of rain. It looks like it's not gonna get any better anytime soon, but at least the nights are getting lighter and that is a positive way of looking forward to the future and um, just seeing it is getting better and uh, focusing on what's to come rather than what's actually happening outside the window at the moment. So what's been happening this week? Um, well, I wanted to start off uh, because with my to show my appreciation for the Chartered College of Teaching's Impact magazine because that just answered all of my prayers this week. I knew that it was going to be a horrible weekend and I wasn't going to be out and about doing much so I decided to spend my time productively and I was going to uh, dedicate the day yesterday to catching up on all of the blogs, all of the reading that I have put, put to one side, saved on my phone, opened as tabs on Safari and just haven't had the time to sit down and really consider. Now I am nowhere near achieving that goal. I actually haven't read very much at all. But what I have read, courtesy of Impact Magazine, has been absolutely 
invaluable it's fantastic resource and if you haven't uh, joined the Chartered College of Teaching I definitely recommend it I think it's only something like £1.92 or something like that a month to join and you get this uh, quarterly magazine now this is the first copy that I've received I get free membership as an ECT so it seems like amazing value from that point of view and I started reading it on Friday and um, sort of carried on yesterday and and still got some left to read as well but every single article in it it was so pertinent to what I've been researching and thinking about school at the moment and fits in so well with everything that's going on in terms of the you know the research that we've been looking at and ideas for how we want to as a department at school move our curriculum forward how we're planning our curriculum and the type of strategies that we're looking at developing as a department so it wasn't specific to English by any means but the the theory and the research is the same um, and it applies to all subjects and I think I even read an article on physics and it was about how to sequence the physics curriculum and so much of it was was relevant to English as well so don't be put off by the title of the articles by any means and just really really useful and I was actually um, commenting on a, a tweet that Nathan Ginn, one of my fellow hosts, put out saying, um, doesn't it feel nice? Isn't it just really well made uh, and, and well printed? And absolutely right. It's like the reason why we still buy books rather than just uh, Kindle or uh, audio books now, because there is something very special about a well printed, well bound book um, that's been printed on really lovely quality paper or a magazine or an uh, a brochure or something like that something something about um the way it's printed the impact magazine it's just really lovely it feels it feels good as well so it might sound a bit crazy but there we are um yeah highly recommend and it's it's been fantastic you know uh, every article has just given me so much uh, research to take back to the department and, and and discuss and talk about and, it, and it's just really helped me get my head around some of the more um you know higher level thinking within school because as an ECT you you are just kind of keeping your head above water a lot of the time and just focusing on planning and delivering your lessons but I think it is very important to think about why we're doing what we're doing and and, and as well questioning what we're being told to do. I think the ECF as I've, I've said before it's a fantastic foundation and if you if you follow it and if you apply it to your practice it can be an incredibly useful tool, especially for a new teacher learning the ropes. And I like how the theory that it promotes, the research that it promotes, is uh, is um, evident in the way that the ECF is designed. So that's the early career framework, the actual online uh, training that that we are that we have access to. And it's very, it runs very much parallel to the education, the Education Endowment Foundation's research, which is entirely what it's based on. And um, you, you can see the connection, you can see the thread running through it. So it's, it's great that they actually apply what they are promoting to the education of teachers, not just to the how teachers need to educate their students. Um, so it's practicing what they pre what it preaches. So although it seems like a big 
task to take to undertake the uh, the research and, and learning about why you're teaching when you're just really trying to get to grips with what you need to teach and delivering it on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's very important that you keep an eye on why you're doing things and, and like I said before, to question why you're doing things. If something doesn't sound quite right to you or you don't understand why that's happening, do your research, find out, talk to people, uh, other people in your school or use Twitter or online forums just to get some ideas about the type of things that are working for other people um, or how they're adapting the the research and the theory in a way that has helped them in their classroom in an in a tangible identifiable way so we're going to come on i'm going to come on to talk about that in a bit more detail the idea of being open about learning and constantly uh, you know using the advice and, and experience of other people to improve your own knowledge and practice but before i move on to that you know a, co a couple of other things um that have been floating around on edgy twitter as well as the, the general media um it's been a bit eye-opening to, to see so many teachers who are concerned about the rising cost of living that's obviously imminent. It's already going on, we know this, and uh, it, it's only going to get worse, unfortunately. And I'm quite surprised to see how many teachers who are experienced teachers, you know, they're, they're quite high up the pay scale. Um, some of them even at the maximum uh, top level but they're struggling at the moment and they're really worried about what these, uh, you know, the, the energy price hike um, and just the general cost of living, what that's going to mean for them. Um, and it just got me to thinking about, you know, the, there was the article by Kirst, that Kirsty Olsop has written about, um, of course, young people can buy their own homes. They just need to give up everything that's pleasurable in life in order to afford to do it. Um, and then there was the Bank of Mum and Dad article, which was, of course, you can buy your own home without the help of Bank of Mum and Dad as long as you've got a nice healthy inheritance from your grandparents. And it just made me question why the media always seem to choose these really privileged people as, as a example of how it can be done. There seems to be a real disconnect between the people who are actually in the newspaper um, promoting how you know these these kind of lifestyles and are perfectly possible yet they do not seem to reflect the vast majority of the population who are saying yeah no um that that is not how it is for me that that is not the experience i'm having um so we have to take everything we read in the media with a pinch of salt and just be sort of you know not it's easy to see how, how people can be upset and offended by articles like that because it's not representative of, of the majority of people, but also it doesn't actually help them. It's being put out there as a, well, here's what you can do to help yourself. And actually, it, it doesn't actually help anyone or very few people might be helped by articles like that. So media is, is not always the best place to go for your information. Which leads me on to my first musing of the episode uh, this week and I want to start by talking about Joe Rogan. Now like him or loathe him you've probably heard of him and he's been all over the media at the moment uh, in the newspapers and online because he's had a number of his podcasts deleted from Spotify over his use of offensive language. And there's also been um, a musician, Neil Young. Now, I'm a bit too young for Neil Young. I don't actually know 
very much about the man, but um, he boycotted Spotify and I believe there were a few other artists as well who supported him in that and, and followed his example because of uh, misinformation that was being put out by Joe Rogan's podcast about vaccinations and the pandemic. Now, I'm not going to discuss whether or not any of that was true or what my opinions of it are, because quite frankly, I haven't listened to it. I don't know anything about it. I don't, as a rule, listen to Joe Rogan's podcasts, um, not because I have anything against listening to them. It's just not on my radar. And, and I've only listened to one or two of his podcasts. So I don't feel like I'm able to comment on whether or not it was um, it's true or not. But just to give you some context, if you're, if you're not aware of this, uh, what's happened is, yes, there was the issue about the, the vaccine um, misinformation. Joe Rogan gets guests on his show um, and basically just has sometimes two, three, four hour long debates about this particular guest, their line of work, what they do, and um, talks to them about it and discusses it with them. And I do get the impression that he's he's coming from a point of view of, of asking them questions about what they do and what they believe. Now, he is a very opinionated individual. And if he doesn't agree with something that they're saying, he will challenge them on it and he will question them on it. And sometimes, from what I have listened to, that can be a bit uncomfortable to listen to because it's very much, you know, that's just his opinion. He's not the expert. He's interviewing the expert, um, but he's obviously, um, sometimes it comes across like he's trying to antagonize them or instigate a um, an argument or a, uh, make it more controversial, which is good for his ratings. So I suppose you can understand why he does that. But ultimately, it's just a conversation between two people and whether or not you agree with what is said that is all it is. He is not promoting his podcast to be any kind of authority on the subject um, that he talks about or um, the guests that he hosts. He's simply giving them a platform. And if you look through the guests that he's had, um, you know, if you go on Spotify and actually look through the guest list and, and his previous episodes, I think it's fair to say that he does have a very varied uh sort of you know it, it's a varied list of guests he doesn't just go um down one particular route in terms of opinion and uh, background so i came across him in the first instance because um he was being vilified on some of the the vegan channels that i am involved with because he he seemed to be very anti-vegan and he was very much uh, he was in favor of the carnivore diet as opposed to the vegan diet and there were some uh, you know there was quite a bit of backlash against that in the in the vegan community but he did also have uh, vegan advocates on his podcast as well as carnivore advocates on his podcast and he has um he's had people who have spoken against the vaccinations but he's also had people who've spoken for the vaccinations and um so he so he does he does give both sides of the argument um and the reason he's been his his uh, previous episodes have been taken off spotify is because of his supposed use of offensive language now i say supposed because i haven't heard them so i can't comment for any with any authority but that is the reason that's been given why they've been taken down and the offensive language in question that has been you know has been reported on in the media anyway is his use of the n-word 
And now I don't know what context this has been used in, what discussion was being had at the time, but that is why they've been taken down. And it got me to thinking about the policing of speech. Now, I just want to say, before we go any further, I am in no way advocating the use of that language. I think, uh, I don't think it, it should be used by anyone, um, especially because it is clearly designed to cause offence. That, that word and, and words like it, words associated with it, were only ever used as derogatory insults and, and, and derogatory references to people. And so I don't think there's, there's, there's very, very few instances where words like that would ever be appropriate to use in everyday speech. But unless he's used, you know, the question is, has he used that language in every single episode that's been taken down? Or has Spotify gone through um, his, his episodes and made a decision as to what is deemed to be offensive or not? And it, it just, I'm not talking specifically about his, his podcast now, but um, this seems to happen a lot on social media where people are called, are, are, you know, taken to task about the language that they use and the way that they express themselves. And it's, I, I think it's, it's a very difficult balance to find and it's a, it's a difficult line to, to, to tread by determining what, what language is okay and what isn't and who ultimately decides that. And how do we how can we have an open, candid, frank discussion about sensitive topics if we do not actually have that discussion? You know, as, that, sorry, I didn't articulate that very well. But what I mean is, how, how are we supposed to learn what is okay and what is not unless we have an open and reasonable discussion on the subject? And so this got me to thinking about a webinar that I watched yesterday, actually. Now, I'm planning um, a future show on Teachers Talk Radio about um, the, the diversity of literature that we study in the English curriculum specifically. And there is a, a lot of movement at the moment towards so-called so decolonizing the English curriculum. And essentially saying that, that there's, there's, too, there's too many white authors on the English curriculum and AQA especially I think they've actually dictated that the authors that they want to use on the um, the GCSE syllabus need to be English authors and so we're, there's, there's various groups um, around the UK um, who are who are pushing for more diversity on the curriculum. And I listened to a webinar that was recommended to me by, again, one of my, um, Holly, one of my fellow um, TT radio colleagues who uh, directed me in, in the way of, of, of Nate and Tez recently did a collaboration on this and there, there was a webinar. And if, if you haven't seen it, I, I very much recommend that you watch it because it's very informative and very interesting if, you, if you're an English specialist. And it was released back in January last year, and they were talking about, you know, how how can we diversify the curriculum? But it was specific to, you know, if there's nothing we can do about the AQA syllabus at the moment, you know, the GCSE syllabus as it stands, how can we diversify the way we currently teach 
the, the literature that we have to teach? How do we bring in more contextual information about things like the British Empire and uh, colonialism and the slave trade and how Britain was involved in that? Because the there does need to be that background knowledge. Um, and, and a lot of literature, a lot of the, the authors who wrote these, these books lived in this time. They came from that period. And of course it would have had an influence on their writing. So it would be completely inappropriate to, dis to discuss the literature without also considering the context in which it was written. And just the, late, the, the women who were all speaking, they, they were just fascinating educators as well. And they all made very pertinent, very um, logical and, uh, you know, practical ideas about how this can be done and what schools can do to support this. And I, I think it's a fantastic idea because the idea that in order for you to be considered an English author, you have to be white. You know, whether or not that is what AQA are actually trying to achieve, I, you know, I can't possibly comment on. But we've only got two authors who are from ethnic minority backgrounds on the whole school secondary curriculum. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any that actually, no, tell a lie, I think there's one. There's one that um, is on the the GCSE syllabus and the rest of them are white authors and again you know have we not moved on a bit now you know do do we not we we have authors in this country who are um from ethnic minority backgrounds backgrounds sorry who um are they're, they're English you know I'm, I'm in, in terms of where they were born they're, they're British but they're obviously from a different cultural background to I suppose, white people. Um, and that doesn't make them any less British. It doesn't make them any less English. So why are we not looking for a more diverse canon of literature to explore the different backgrounds and the multicultural diversity that exists in Britain? Because it would be, of course, much more representative of Britain today. Um, and I just want to pause here for a second. Oh, I've got a speaker. Right. Hello. Oh, sorry, I wasn't quick enough. I'll just invite you there. Again, I've got a caller, see if we can get connected. Hello, welcome to Teach Talk Radio. Okay. Hi there, what, Hi there. what, what, what would you what, like to call in about tonight? Hello. Okay. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. What's your What's your call? What would you like to talk about? Yeah. Just. Uh, I'm gonna uh, ask uh, international cultures. Hello. Yeah, hello. Um, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to hear you. What's your question? Do you know about uh, international cultures? In what in what sense? What? Um. What 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 about what what point about international cultures would you like to talk about? <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't think. Uh, 
I don't think that's going anywhere, unfortunately. Um, yeah, not not quite not quite sure about that. But um, thank you very much for calling in. Um, Teacher, sorry. And yeah, sorry about that. How how do I do that? Right. Okay. Right. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to say I just wanted to um, stop for a moment um, and just say that it feel. I suppose that there's there's a a certain discomfort about discussing subjects like this because I think that I personally and I can only speak for myself but I personally I'm I'm not sure about sometimes the right language to use and and how to talk about things like this but in the interest of having an open conversation I think that the the best way of of dealing with things that you don't know about or you don't understand is to ask about them and talk about them and it shouldn't be something that we feel embarrassed about and if you come from a position of curiosity and wanting the people to you know genuinely wanting other people to inform you and change you know challenge what you're saying or or change your viewpoint or change you know give give you an idea about a different point of view then i don't think we we, we shouldn't assume that people are being offensive or that that people are, are coming from a position of sort of wanton ignorance um we have to have that open conversation and, and be able to talk about it so that we can achieve um you know that that ideal state where we, where we can all be open with each other and, and we're not going to offend each other because we know how to go about these things um and we know what to say so off the back of what we were just talking about this this um about having more diversity in the english curriculum uh, one of the speakers from the webinar um, it was Leslie Nelson Addy who was was talking at this point, and we and one of the questions somebody texted into the webinar or sent a message in, and asked about whether or not we should be teaching books such as Mice and of Mice and Men in the curriculum anymore because of the portrayal of the only black character in the book, and its use of the N word, and somebody had uh, specifically the question was, would we ever use the N word in our classrooms? And um, the, uh, Leslie turned around and she said she would say absolutely not because in her experience it causes a lot of discomfort and um, upset amongst the students in her classes, particularly if, they, um, if they're black or, you know, because they have experienced racist abuse or they, they might have um, been made to be, feel very uncomfortable by people using this word to them in everyday speech. I totally understand that and I think it's absolutely vital that if we were ever having that discussion with, um, if we were ever talking about that novel with our classes, then we need to have that discussion with them and advise them of the fact that this word is used and would they feel comfortable about us using it. I'm not sure how I feel about the idea of not saying certain words that appear in literature because we we don't want to cause offence. Um, obviously, if it's going to cause offence, then then don't use it. Uh, but my question is, and again, this is just me musing and, and thinking of uh, working this out in my own mind, is I did teach mice and men briefly when I was on my training year. And I was of the opinion that it's not something you should shy away from because everyone sat in front of me in that classroom 
was 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 white and where i am uh, the area of the country where we live in there is very very little ethnic diversity like very little i teach uh, five different classes across from year seven up until um, year 11. And there is only one student from an ethnic minority background in all of my classes across the whole school. Now I'm not saying he's they're the only student in the school, um, but of the ones I teach. So when you are teaching in a school that lacks diversity almost completely, they may, they may not come across these words or this language other than through popular culture such as music um, or the television and so how do they learn what is appropriate and what is not how do they learn about the context of the language that we use when it is appropriate and when it isn't if indeed it ever is appropriate to use how do we overcome misconceptions about what it what is okay and what is not okay to discuss with people or, or to refer to people and I think the answer is that a lot of that must have to come from the classroom um, and having that being able to have that open conversation with students and uh, as a teacher being able to op openly discuss that with them now correct me if I'm wrong it, you know you might you might be of the opinion that it's never okay to use certain words or articulate certain words but if it gets in the way of explaining to a student why it is or is not appropriate I, I don't think we should ever be afraid of language I don't think we should ever shy away from uh, recognizing mistakes that were made in the past and how we can learn from them moving forward that doesn't mean we necessarily have to go around you know shouting shouting things from the rooftops um, if it's not appropriate to do so but I think again it comes down to the the people you're teaching the actual the people in the room in front of you and one of the other uh, lecturers who was speaking on this particular webinar she uh, posted up a slide which had a really good way of, of of articulating this I think was she said what we need to talk about is widening the curriculum not decolonizing the curriculum because the word decolonizing suggests there are things that are negative that need to be taken away, whereas widening puts the emphasis on adding to the curriculum. And she was making the point that we're not saying that these authors are inappropriate or they should not be taught or they need to be removed because we no longer approve of the uh, the politics of the author or the language that they use or the, the time that they lived in we should be looking at instead adding different perspectives different backgrounds different cultures into the curriculum and i think that was a really great way of putting it um hussein uh noam hussein has just texted in and said it's something beyond linguistic competence it's related to socio-linguistic competence how to talk to anyone anytime anywhere yeah absolutely great point you're absolutely right um and maybe I'm um, misunderstanding this slightly, but but yeah, if if the, if the point you're making is that sometimes it's actually beyond our ability to articulate things, um, it's it's a much bigger issue than just than than something we can teach in schools. It's something that needs to be 
a wider issue? How how does anyone from any background anywhere talk to someone else from any background at any time or or um, or from anywhere? And and that is a that is a really difficult question, and it's a really big question, and it's something that we we need to work on. But school surely is a good starting place for that. And I was thinking, um, you know, ideas like we we have to learn from the past. How else do we know what mistakes we've made and what we should not be doing if we don't learn from things that happened in the past? And it, it ties into the idea of of pulling down statues of people who we don't think are a very good example anymore. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not really sure how I feel about that because I do I do understand that there are certain people who we have hero worshipped in the past, uh, masters of empire and colonial overlords and um, army generals and, and people like this who we've held up as being the epitome of British spirit and courage and um, everything that was good about Britain. And actually, they weren't very nice people. They didn't do very nice things. Um, and that's putting it mildly. But obviously, that, that's not the point of the show today is to talk about all the, all the bad things that people did in the past. But if you know, you know. But the, the point is, is that maybe these statues should be torn down. But I don't necessarily think that that means that their story should be wiped from history. Possibly once upon a time, they were used as a model for society. Now, perhaps we need to be using them as models for what not to do in society. But still, we shouldn't ignore them. We shouldn't pretend it didn't happen just because we no longer agreed with it. And I think this ties into the idea of, of recognising that these people or, or these examples of literature they came from a very different time and a very different place to where we are now the country is a very different place but language is changing all of the time and maybe the issue is now is that what we're doing is we're asking students to focus on authors with ideas and viewpoints and standpoints that are no longer relevant and they're not actually going to perhaps they're not going to be as helpful to students now as they were when these books um, were written when you know so, some of them um, were now were now 80 years old I was actually I was actually thinking about this and it shocked me a little bit we still teach an inspector calls as being a modern text that's how AQA define it it is on the list of modern texts but it's 80 years old nearly it was written in 1940 46 and we're now in 2022 so in 2026 the book will be 80 years old will it still be on the AQA curriculum as a modern text I think there is something problematic about that yes of course the the themes of the book are as at uh, the play sorry are as relevant now in a lot of ways as they have always been the idea of social responsibility and um we, we have to think of our our society as a community and not just be every man for ourselves, but think of how we can best help other people. And the fact that we that that is still relevant today speaks volumes. That this is a book that's eighty years old, and yet was it's we're still saying that this needs to be better. We still need to be better at this as a society. Speaks volumes. So, so from that point of view, you think, well, yes, it's still relevant. But surely there are books that were written more recently. 
um, with a similar message and perhaps by someone who's had a, a different worldview, a different perspective, has come from a different background. They, there are other voices that need to be heard, basically. And um, I very much think that the curriculum needs to be diversified. We need to be looking at other points of view from other periods of time as well. I think I think that's possibly one of the main issues is that what what is not, what is considered modern on the GCSE syllabus is not modern anymore, um, and we need to bring it up to date. Um, so. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to break because I have talked solidly at you for nearly 37 minutes. So I'm going to break and play the news and the adverts and then we'll come back and carry on the discussion. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Perpetrators are finding new ways to groom and abuse younger children, including through social media and dating apps, according to a report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. 
the inquiry, chaired by Professor Alexis Jay, concluded that local authorities and police forces were struggling to keep pace with the changing nature of child sexual exploitation. The report warned that there is a false assumption that exploitation by organised networks is on the wane. Professor Jay previously investigated abuse in Rotherham and said that there may also be a fear that places will be labelled another Rotherham or another Rochdale. The report found that child sexual exploitation has now become a hidden problem, in danger of being underreported. Six areas were focused on as a part of the inquiry. St Helens, Tower Hamlets, Swansea, Durham, Bristol and Warwickshire. They are areas that have not already been subject to investigations into CSE. The report emphasises that too many victims of child sexual exploitation are treated as offenders and states that more effort must be made to prosecute perpetrators effectively. The report makes six recommendations, including improving the identification of and the response to child sexual exploitation. Professor Jay said, the sexual exploitation of children by networks is not a rare phenomenon and not confined to a small number of areas, and that all agencies, including education, should be alert to the signs. According to a report in The Guardian, one in eight primary pupils in England had COVID last week. Figures released on Friday by the Office for National Statistics suggest that infections may now have peaked in primary age pupils, but the surge continues to cause disruption to attendance. Prevalence also remains high amongst secondary schools, with an infection rate in England of 1 in 15. The Department for Education has launched its new Education Staff Wellbeing Charter, which applies to staff in England. On the government website are details of the Declaration of Support for and set of commitments to the well-being and mental health of everyone working in education. All state-funded schools and colleges are invited to sign up to the Charter, and the website has links to a range of resources. An article on the Daily Monitor website discusses fire safety in schools in Uganda following a fire at a school in Kawempe in January. The fire broke out in the girls' dormitories and left four pupils dead and three seriously injured. The Uganda National Fire Protection Association reports that around 5,000 fires occur in institutions of learning each year. Many are now calling for a greater focus on fire safety to prevent loss of life, damage to property and disruption to learning. This should include installing firefighting equipment in schools and clear identification of escape routes, as well as smoke detectors and fire alarms. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. 
Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboards, Boards, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your class's whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back again. Thank you for those of you who are still listening in the studio. Um, hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. So we're going to move on uh, now. Related topic, but something a bit more um, specific to teaching, I suppose, is uh, edgy Twitter. So hashtag edgy Twitter. Now, I am a fan of Twitter. I have fallen down um, the Twitter rabbit hole on many occasions and it's become the new... Facebook for me I, you know I used to spend just a happy hour procrastinating merrily on Facebook staring at pictures and now I do the same staring at teachers tweets so I was spending a bit of time this week well this weekend specifically catching up on podcasts that I'd missed and um, I listened to a, a few teachers talk radio shows because I, I can't always listen live unfortunately so I do make a, a real effort to, to catch up on uh, podcasts and I was listening to um, a show uh, that Tom Rogers, who's one of the directors, he was uh, hosting with Phil Beadle and Adam Boxer. And you might be aware of this, or if not, let me fill you in on the background. So um, Phil Beadle, who is a part-time English teacher, put out a tweet that was uh, something along the lines of um, the fact that he marks books every day and that it's he was marking the there was a student who he whose book he had marked who was thrilled because her book was being marked every day and when he inquired about what it would have been like at a previous school her response had been they don't care and so he he posted that tweet and the response was it really split the field and and this is what uh, what I'm going to be talk, uh, talking about is this idea that teachers post up an opinion or, or an experience has happened to them and the the response can be volcanic sometimes uh, the effect that it has and the reason why um adam boxer was the other guest on on the show the the um the other interviewee was because he had come down on the side of of, of opposition and said it's absolutely ridiculous to suggest that marking books is the only way that teachers can show that they care or it, it, that that marking books is related to teachers caring, or, or something along those lines. I, I missed the um, original tweet, so I am just paraphrasing here. Forgive me if I've got that wrong. But I think it, whether or not the the actual um, conversation and, and the reasoning and, and uh, 
debate between those two gentlemen. You would have to listen to Tom's show to hear about that. I'm not just going to repeat everything that was said. But um, it just surprised me at how vehemently teachers can defend their hill. They'll, they decide that they, ha- they are on a particular viewpoint or they have a particular opinion about something. And it does seem to be, um, there doesn't seem to be much room for grey area. It either is or it isn't. Someone is wrong or they are right. And maybe this harks back to the idea that there seems to be two groups, you know, two ultimate uh, labels that we give teachers, whether they are traditionalist or, or they are a prog. Still, again, still don't know what that means, but progressive, that's what it is, isn't it? traditional or progressive but there's there's so many different approaches to education and so many different schools and so many different teachers and we're all unique and we all do it in so many different ways that it seems so limiting to suggest that there can only be two points of view on any given subject um so so this is where you, you know please if anyone's listening that you you have an opinion or or call in have you been involved in a twitter debate have you been um, have you commented on something seemingly innocuous and then you've been uh you've been trolled or you've been made to feel like you you know you need to delete your tweet or that what you've said is somehow um and uh, you know against all the principles of teaching you know let me know what do you think uh, has anything like this happened to you and I must admit, I have not yet had the bravery to comment on any of these debates that I've seen flying around on Twitter, because quite frankly, I don't feel confident enough in my own opinions about things yet. I don't feel like I've got enough experience to say if somebody more experienced than I is wrong or right. I do think it's important that teachers at all levels should be questioning their own practice and by extension the practices of others because that's how we learn isn't it as teachers we observe other people we we watch how expert teachers deliver lessons we're given instruction based on what other people are doing and finding to be effective and so that is how we learn so we but we can't just become mini-me's of the people that we're observing um we we need to be reflective and we need to question if this is actually the best way and yeah okay maybe nine times out of ten it is maybe it is the best way um or at least it's it's still an effective way but that doesn't mean there aren't more effective ways out there or that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that we could be doing that are just as effective that might work better for different classes i'm sure there are teachers out there who might teach the same topic differently to two different classes or or you know different groups of students because every student is an individual so we have to adapt our teaching and surely we all remember or, or, or most of us have had an experience of a teacher who has taken a very hard line approach to their pedagogy and they teach the way they teach and you either get it or you don't you get the work and you understand it or you don't and that teacher was completely inflexible if you didn't understand the way the work based on the way they taught it, then you were made to feel like you were, you know, the dunce of the class and and, and that you were just sitting there stupidly, um, not, you know, there was something wrong with you because you didn't understand the way they teach. Thankfully, things have moved on a lot since then. And now it's, you know, it's very much about how you make sure that every student in the class, or you should be making sure that every student in the class can access that learning. And the onus is on the teacher to make that happen. So 
just by logical extension of that, we have to accept that there can be multiple points of view and multiple ways of approaching the same problem. So it's surprising to me that teachers can be so hardline in their points of view. Um, and possibly it is based on experience. And I'm, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not discounting the fact that these educators might have got many, might have many years of experience. And it's precisely because they've tried lots of different things and they've um, they've observed lots of different approaches that they feel confident in their opinion about something being right or wrong. Um, but clearly you've got other, other teachers who might have the same number of years in the trenches, um, as it were, uh, they've they've got a similar might have similar backgrounds, or at least they've been teaching for as long as each other, and yet they will have come down on a completely different side of the argument. So, I suppose I'm a bit yeah, like I say, I'm I'm a bit um, concerned about the sort of lack of grey that seems to take that seems to occur. And as I said at the beginning of the show when I was introducing the uh, the topics for this evening. Surely there needs to be room for healthy debate. And by that, we mean there has to be room to disagree with each other and not feel that we're going to be trolled on Twitter for our opinions. Surely there's got to be room for us to say, well, actually, I don't really agree with that. Or or can you just tell me that? Tell me why you think that is a good idea, because I'm not seeing it. I, I've done something similar and I don't get it. Um, or that's not my experience. And not worry that... We're going to be vilified for that um and there are there do seem to be i mean um, i don't obviously i do not follow everyone there is to follow um on edgy twitter but on my twitter feed there does seem to be certain characters that pop up time and time again as being you know known for being opinionated and they often talk about the people who've blocked them and I, I'm, I'm sort of in an interesting position where i follow somebody who has been blocked by somebody else who I follow. And so I'm, I kind of get to see both sides of the of the debate, which is, or, or the argument as it usually is, which is an interesting perspective. But I can I can see the I can see the arguments from both sides. And that's why it, it leads to the, to the kind of question of well, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just have agree to disagree? Or indeed open up the conversation and say, well, this is why I think the way that I do. And this is why the way the this is why you think the way that you do. So let's talk about that. Let's see how our ideas meet in the middle, if they meet in the middle. And if they don't, then fine, you know, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and we'll agree to be friends. That doesn't really happen. Am I being naive um, in thinking that that's in any way possible? I don't know. Um, it, it happened as well with the lanyard debate. And again, you've probably seen it, uh, which is a school head commented on the fact that uh, students who have got behavioural cards where um, issues with behaviour are written down by the teachers or a note is made of the teachers. These students are given the card and expected to wear it in their lanyard. And again, Twitter blew up because it was all about how inhumane is that? You know, uh, ha having somebody hang their um, mis their bad their, their behavioural issues around their neck for all the world to see. And again, when we just take a, a moment to consider the context of the situation, the school was not saying that they they made the children wear these behavioural cards as like a dunce's cap. 
um, or that it was some kind of albatross around their neck so that everybody knew that this person was one of the one of the badens. It was the students wore lanyards um, as part of their uniform. Every student wore a lanyard. And it was simply a way of ensuring that the student was able to keep this card on their person at all times. It wasn't made public. It wasn't on display. It was tucked into the lanyard that they wore on a daily basis. And I, I saw a teacher, I think, I'm not sure if I've read this on Twitter or if I, I listened to it on a podcast, but it was a teacher talking about how, oh, actually, I think it might have been Miss Saeed on her show when she was um, interviewing Tom Sherrington and they were chatting about this. And they were saying that um, if if a student had SEND needs or had a medical condition, then it, it was entirely appropriate for them to wear that information, or, you know, have that information to hand so that if they were in the corridor and something happened and they didn't have any of, of, of their school equipment with them, you know, they didn't have their bag or anything like that, they didn't have any other way of identifying them apart from what was in their lanyard, that it was actually a very practical solution because any teacher could then approach that student and deal with the situation because they had the information to hand. So it wasn't about singling out those students as somebody that needs to be looked at. It was just about making it as practical and, and um, you know, as, as easy as possible to address a policy that the school were, were, had implemented. And, but again, there were there were two distinct camps, one that saw no problem with it and one that absolutely did have a problem with it. And people are getting blocked left, right and centre. People are deleting their tweets. And again, you know, mentioning Tom Sherrington, I, I think, you know, I've got I, I've got a lot of respect for Tom Sherrington in terms of the the um, the information he puts out there. Um, and I think he is high, I think it's fair to say he's very highly respected in the educator community. And he was saying how he'd had to delete one of his tweets because he he tried to make light of it he tried to make a joke of it and he, people had come down on him for his comments um, to the point where he just went you know what I'm, I'm not doing this and just delete and deleted the tweet but again it, it, it's it's effectively policing people's opinions isn't it it's what it's policing what people have to say and if they don't agree with you or if they don't fit into the you know the accepted narrative they're not allowed to speak and I think that is a very dangerous road to go down because it surely flies in the face of what we're trying to get our students to do. We're trying to get our students to be well-rounded, knowledgeable individuals who can, who have a good awareness of the world, not just the subjects that we teach them in school, but the wider picture, the big picture of everything that they pretend as, as much as possible of what they're going to face in the real world as we can possibly give them before they leave our care. And to set this example that you must not disagree with what with the popular opinion or if you disagree with someone then you run the risk of being hauled over the coals, metaphorically speaking, um, it, it's dangerous and, it, and it's repressive um, and indeed oppressive if that's not too strong language to use because it, it, it leads us to believe that there is only one accepted point of view um, and it would take a very confident, secure person to stand up against that. And of course, not everybody's like that. So I, I think we, we have to be very careful about having these, um, you know, really quite 
sometimes aggressive conversations with people who are ultimately trying to achieve the same goal that we are. I mean, quite frankly, aren't we all on the same team as teachers? Aren't we all in pursuit of the same goal? Um, there, there, there might be many different ways of getting there, but but surely we, we should all agree that the, the ultimate goal is the best education of students. And we shouldn't be closed off to the possibility that there might still be things that we don't know or understand. And perhaps we need to be looking at these as opportunities to learn about what we don't know and improve our own knowledge and experience rather than as I said before, standing on our respective hills and shouting at each other via Twitter because we disagree with um, what the other, what the people on the other hill across from us are saying. Um, and again, you know, ultimately, just because we don't agree with somebody, does that make them wrong? Um, shouldn't we be having open, frank debate? Um, indeed, we could have heated debates, but there's, I think there's a difference between a strongly worded debate and an argument um, because arguments tend to lose their logic and tend to lose their reason um, in in the face of heightened emotion whereas a debate you know you, you have to stay rational and, and it has to be based on fact and opinion I'm um, sorry fact and um, reason rather than just personal opinion or, or personal experience um, and, and Tom Sherrington actually tweeted um, about this uh, earlier today, or, or I'm assuming something similar, something along those lines, Because, and I'll just read the tweet out to you. It said, um, real life school, students are relaxed, happy, smart, punctual, ready to learn, fully equipped, normal, no fuss. A few detentions back this up, normal, no fuss. Twitter hyperbole world, children's spirits are crushed by oppressive shaming punishments over nothing. And I think that it's apt, really, because that's what it is, is, is Twitter can be an echo chamber um, and and people blow things, you know, we blow things out of proportion or things are blown out of proportion and, and treated with hyperbole and, and a, a behavioural management policy that one person doesn't agree with becomes a symbol of patriarchal oppression of children. Um, and it's probably not quite like that in, in reality. So I think we just need to sometimes maybe count to 10 before we respond to a tweet or possibly consider all all aspects or all points of view that the person might be coming from before we decide that they need to be taken down a peg or two um, for having a controversial or an unusual opinion. And, and as well, quite frankly, it leaves very room for nuance and humour, doesn't it? Because if we take every tweet that we read at face value, you'd be constantly arguing and constantly offended and constantly being upset by what people say. Um, we've got to be able to have a bit of a laugh and a joke about everything, haven't we? Um, and there's, there's got to be some room to be able to poke fun um, maybe at some more um, stringent opinions that people might have without worrying that people are going to be offended by it. Um, maybe that's a naive approach, I don't know. But uh, as I say, I've not been brave enough to wade, wade into any of these debates. So maybe the question is, what do I know? Um, but I think just just a last point on edgy Twitter, maybe, is that it's a, it's a strange beast in that most of the people who use Twitter, although they tend to advertise the fact that they are teachers or educators in their profiles. 
they're tweeting from a personal account. So it, it's their opinion and they make that very clear. Um, this is their, their personal account. It's, it's no affiliation to an organization. And so they feel free to say what they really think, which is great. That's exactly what it should be. But we use the hashtag EduTwitter as a professional network as well. So we are using it to collaborate, to get in touch with people, to put information out there that relates specifically to the job that we do, which is teaching. And we use it to share our resources and um, our experiences that, that we do feel might help other people. You know, obviously there are bloggers on there. There are people with podcasts, um, you know, obviously yours truly, who promote their content as um, from, from the point of view of, I'm hoping this might help someone. And there are people on Twitter who, who I've talked about on my shows before, who that is what they, they seem to dedicate their time to do, is putting information out there for no other reason than they hope it might be helpful. It's things that they've found work for them and they put it out there hoping that somebody else might get the benefit from it as well. And that just strikes me as incredibly noble and, um, you know, what a fantastic thing to do. And I personally have benefited from that um, by being involved in that uh, aspect of Twitter. So, but if, if we're, we, it, it's that, it's that um, difficult sort of balance between using that professional network as a personal platform because then um you know the opinions that people might put out there personally might not necessarily be the things that they would talk about in the classroom um you know they they might have to change the way that they speak or the language that they use when they're in the classroom because it doesn't conform to um school policy, you know, for instance, if they, they use a lot of bad language or, it, you know, generally in their, in their day-to-day -day conversation or, um, I mean, that in itself is problematic, isn't it? Calling it bad language. Um, swear words, maybe they swear a lot uh, when they're talking normally or talking to their friends or, or, or family, but in the classroom, they probably won't do that because it is, it is, I believe, still widely accepted that we don't swear in front of the children. Um, so, in that, from that same standpoint, um, do people perhaps need to be a bit careful, a bit more careful about what they say? Um, are they being deliberately antagonistic? Maybe that's the point. But um, when you are putting something out there, which which is about a professional subject, a professional idea, such as teaching and and how to do it well and effectively, do we perhaps need to? look at the way we speak and um, how we express ourselves. But then, of course, that goes back to what we talked about right at the beginning of the show, which comes down to should we change the way we speak to avoid offending people? And um, should we police our language for fear that we're going to upset people or for fear of the impact that might have? And so this is just... This is a much bigger conversation than <laughs> than um, we can possibly, you know, it's not possible to come to a conclusion on in one and a, in, a, in a one and a half hour show. And I am certainly no authority on on the right or wrong way to do these these things. But um, it, it certainly has got me thinking, um, and and in a way, it's made me more wary about getting involved with things. And I think that's a shame because you shouldn't be worried about 
asking questions or voicing opinions or um, giving uh, anecdotes of your own experience. I think we that's what exactly what we should be doing on platforms such as Twitter so that we can have open and reasonable debates with the hope that maybe our opinions will be changed at the end of it all or to have our worldview challenged. Um, I had a, I had a conversation, completely unrelated, but I had a conversation with a friend the other day and, and she said something to me that made me stop and go, right, right, that, that completely challenges my point of view. But that is an excellent point that she's just made. I need to think about that. And isn't that what really helps? Isn't that what helps us grow as people and as educators that to have our points of view challenged? And I think I said this before on a previous show, if you've still got the same opinion when you come fresh out of university at 21, 22, that you do after 10 years in industry, education, whatever it might be, and then the same opinion again when you've worked in that industry for 20 years or perhaps you've changed to a different, you know, you changed your career and you've, you've met a, a group of vastly different people. If you've still got the same opinions that you had at 22, that you that you do at 32, 42, 52 and, and into the future, I, I think there is, that in itself raises a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Because... Um, Unless I suppose, unless it's about something really fundamental, I don't know, like religion or something like that, where you you either know, um, you know, you, you make a decision about what you want to do and, and what religion you want to follow, probably from quite an early age. If you still have that same conviction throughout your life, then that's then that's fine. But if you're working in in a constantly changing, fast paced environment like education, and you don't open yourself up to the the possibilities of doing things differently, changing the way you think, changing the way you approach your practice, being open to learn from the experiences of other people, um, being open to diversification and, and diversity in your own practice and how you teach things differently to, to different students in different schools at different times of your career. There's a problem, I think, if that's not happening. And, and it's only my personal opinion and, of course, None of you know the disclaimer at the ready. Um, all opinions are my own. I, I do not advocate on behalf of any of any one particular side or, or on behalf of anybody else. But we, as educators, we want our students to be open to learning all things, and not just for that to finish when they leave school at eighteen um, or sixteen, but to continue to learn, continue to seek out new information, continue to to. Um, learn from the experiences of others and take other people's points of views and experiences and opinions into account in order to in order for that to have an impact on you you know that's how we that's how we learn as a community is to learn from each other so i'd like to think <laughs> that um edgy twitter uh, might i don't know if it's ever going to change but i'd like to think that um you know perhaps i need you know we need to be thinking about how we can perhaps have more debates and more friendly conversations about and be open to the idea that maybe we might be wrong <laughs> um, in order to just have for it to be a, a friendlier more welcoming environment that's all I'm saying it can be quite off-putting and scary <laughs> to dip your toe into the water uh, when you've, you can see how easily these things can can blow up and, and change so yeah that's just my two pennies worth um, 
it, it's it's a very it, you know it, it's a huge conversation it's a huge topic and, and it's something that affects so many different people in so many different areas of, of their life so probably not something we're going to be able to conclude with any real uh, definition tonight but thank you for listening and obviously thank you for um, bearing with me while I wax lyrical about my own thoughts on the subject so I'm going to um, play the adverts again one more time before the show finishes and uh, I'll see you after that This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen great improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N.co.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Hello again. So I think I've pretty much exhausted all of my topics of conversation tonight because I haven't got a guest. Um, I was flying solo tonight, so I am going to wrap the show up a little bit early. Thank you to all the people who have joined me in the live studio tonight. Um, thank you for those who have commented and, and called in. Really appreciate your support. And 
look forward and hope to see you again next week. Thank you for listening to The Twilight Show and have a great week um, for next week. And if it's nearly half term for you, keep going. The light is at the end of the tunnel. If you are on half term next week, lucky you and have a great Monday. So just to let you know as well, um, following me at eight o'clock, there will be uh, Paul Etuk. Uh, on the late show and it's Paul's first show so if you are around eight o'clock give him a listen show your support and then in the morning um Tabitha McIntosh is um, on as usual at 7 a.m have a great rest of your Sunday have a fantastic start to your week and see you next week you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.